If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they, would, they that are, will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee, or <clears throat> I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which in this time, or in his times, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach, unto whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power forever. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high minded nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who giveth all richly, or giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the times to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to the tr into thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. If you've seen a copy of the bulletin, you saw that the title for the sermon tonight was, Why Are You Here? Now, I don't want to know why you're here in this building, because I think I know the answer to that. We're here to worship God. And hopefully that we can glean something from it that will help us as we live our Christian life. But my question is, why are we here on this planet? And tonight I want to look at Ecclesiastes, and I think that that's a good point, a good place to look, because Solomon was a very wise man. But we see people today who are not happy, they're not content, they're not enjoying the life that God has blessed us with. And many times they look at themselves and they say, I could be happy if something would happen that isn't going to happen. You know, maybe I'd be happy if I was taller, or maybe I'd be happier if I had a different body shape. Uh, maybe I'd be happy if the color of my hair was different. Those things aren't going to make us happy. And sometimes people decide that, you know, they would be happy if they could just live the perfect life, if everything was just rosy all the time. And I believe that if we've lived here on this earth long enough, we realize that that is an impossible request that we're not going to have a perfect life for our entire lifetime. There are going to be problems. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be stress. There's going to be concerns. And there's going to be effort that we have to put forth, as we've seen in our lesson this morning. 
We want God to answer our prayer. Sometimes we need to be involved in that answer. That we have a responsibility in the life that we live to help God in the course of what we're praying for. As an example this morning when we talked about uh, praying for uh, laborers in the field. Uh, the field is wide unto harvest, but the laborers are few. We pray for laborers to go into the field, but who are those laborers? It could be you. You could be the answer to that prayer. And so think about that. Prepare yourself so that you can do those things. And so sometimes we're the answer to that prayer, just like we mentioned with Cornelius. He prayed. God heard his prayer, but he told him to call Peter, send for Peter, and Peter would come and tell him what he needed to do. And so he had something that he had to do in answer to that prayer. And so there's something that we need to do to enjoy this life. Because I believe that God put us here on this earth not only to look forward to heaven, but even that's where our citizenship's at, that's our desire, that's where our, our affections are set, but I believe that God wants us to enjoy life here on this earth also. Even with the fact that bad things are going to happen, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be things that happen that we don't like or we don't appreciate, but I still believe that we can enjoy life. And many people look for all kinds of things that they think are going to help them to have that wonderful, contented life. You see, many pursue riches and possessions. Life would be better if they had a bigger house or a nicer car. Lots of things that they can think of. And then there are some who always pursue fun and entertainment. They want things that are going to make them enjoy life. And I think that we realize those things may be important. I believe that God wants us to enjoy and have some fun while we're here on this earth. But that's not what life is all about. And we may be entertained, but some, at some point that entertainment ends. You can go sit in a movie theater and you can watch a two-hour movie, but at the end of it, you walk out the door and you still have all the problems that you had to begin with. So that's not the answer. Some want to better themselves. And so they work hard and they study hard and they put lots of effort forth. But oftentimes they don't have a particular goal to achieve. And yet, they get excited about something new but then they don't have any use for it after they get it. Sort of like the kid on Christmas who wanted that special toy and mom and dad searched the planet over and found it. They may have had to get in the rocket ship and go to some other planet to get it, but they got it. And that kid plays with it for 10 minutes and then sets it aside and plays with the box. Think about it for a moment. Isn't that the world that we live in? We live in a wonderful country. We have wealth and possessions. In fact, probably most of us have things that our grandparents or great-grandparents couldn't even imagine having. We are tremendously blessed. For one, I know my grandparents, at least on one side, didn't even have a bathroom in the house. So I'm much better off. At least I think I'm much better off. I don't want to go outside when it's 20 below zero. But think about that. We have endless opportunities to be better. Yet why is our society filled with people who are not satisfied with life? And many times we find that even in the church with God's people. Like I said, I want to look at what Solomon has to say, what the preacher has to say. We'll let the preacher preach the message tonight. 
So flip over to Ecclesiastes if you're not there yet. You see, so much of what people see as important really isn't worth anything. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit doth a man of all of his labor which he taketh under the sun? Here we have questions being asked, and I think that we can keep on going and we can look at pleasure. Is pleasure something that's going to satisfy us in this life? Is that going to give us the meaning of that of, of life? Is that going to tell us why we're here? Well, Solomon addresses that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 1. I said in my heart, Go to now, I will prove thee with mirth. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. And behold, this also is vanity. So pleasure isn't something that's going to last. Pleasure isn't something that's going to make our life meaningful. And then we talk about work, or he mentions work. In Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. In other words, he's looking at the things that he's accomplished, but yet a lot of those things that we accomplish in this life are going to be left for somebody else. They have no meaning in the hereafter. We can't take it with us. Solomon's saying that some of those things are vanity. What does he have to say about education? For those that want to pursue education, to think that that's the answer to the wonderful life, well, Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 21, For there is a man whose labor is in wisdom and in knowledge and in equity, yet to a man that hath not labor therein shall he leave it for his portion. This also is vanity and a great evil. You can start looking at what Solomon is saying here, or the preacher saying, and it may sound a little negative. What is the meaning of life? Well, he goes on, well, living for the moment, and that's addressed in Ecclesiastes twelve or Ecclesiastes three and verse nineteen. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they all they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. In other words, everybody's going to die. All the animals are going to die. We're going to die. So, you know, are we any better than the animals? Escapism. We read about that in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 7. For in a multitude of dreams and many words, there is also diverse vanities. But fear thou God. Then he addresses wealth. In Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Oh, if I just had a little bit more, I would be happy. Well, guess what? When you have a little bit more, you're not satisfied because you want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Would you be happy with something new? Well, Solomon addresses that. Ecclesiastes 6 and verse 9. Better is the, is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of desire. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. We want something new. Something else would make me happy. And then endless youth. Oh, if I was just younger. Or if I could just stay young. Solomon tells us this in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 10. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart 
and put every evil from thy flesh, thy childhood and youth are vanity. Problem is that people are trying to get something out of life for which it was not designed. It isn't that life has no purpose. The problem is that people are wanting the wrong things in this life. They want things that are not going to satisfy. They don't want what God wants us to have. And that's where our problem lies. Not only in the world, but in our own personal lives as Christians, if we're not content. You see, the purpose of this life is I believe God wants us to be happy. He wants us to be contented. Be content with what we have. And listen to what is that says in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 24, beginning. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul good, enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw, that it was from the hand of God. So what is he telling us? Well, he's telling us that we need to be content, and the labor that we work is good. Now, didn't he say something different about that earlier? No, God put us here on this earth. And when he put Adam and Eve in the garden, what did he tell them to do? They gave them responsibility to dress and to keep it. Paul tells us that if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. And so one of the things we do is we labor. We work. We work so that we have things to provide for ourselves, for our family, and for those that are around us that we can help. If we have an opportunity. And so God provides food and things for us to drink. And He wants us to do good with the, with the things that He's provided us with. And He wants us to know that he, we are with God, that God will help us in this life, that He cares about us, that He's concerned about you and He's concerned about me, and He knows your name and He knows a great deal about you. And sometimes we think that God just looks down at us and all He's doing is waiting for us to make a mistake. I don't believe that that's what God is doing. God sees the good that we do. Remember what we said about Caleb this morning? What did God say about Caleb? He considered him my servant. That's what He said about him. Because he wholly followed the Lord. He followed Him. So He knew, God knew what Caleb was doing. And He knows what you're doing. And He knows whether you're content with life or not. And so we ask, why must we work? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why we need to work. One, to help us to stay out of trouble. Because idle hands are the devil's workshop. And I think that we see that in our lives today. When people aren't active, when people aren't involved, guess what? They start gossiping. They start saying things that they shouldn't say and doing things that they shouldn't do. But when they're busy doing the right things, then they don't have time for all that other stuff. And so God wants us to work wine to keep us busy, keep us out of trouble. And to realize also that there is more to life than this world. He wants us to understand that. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. He that hath made everything beautiful in his time, also he has set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. God realizes or wants us to realize that there's more to life than this world. That he's given us that promise of eternal life. And we also work because we are able to do good or so we can do good. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 12-13, I know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It is the gift of God. 
I don't know about you, but I would imagine you're just like me. When you've worked on something that maybe you've put a lot of effort into it, a lot of energy, maybe it costs you a little bit, there's something that makes you feel good when you finish it, when you've accomplished it. There's joy inside. You know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I'd sit on the coffee or sit on the couch, and I would put my feet on the coffee table. Then my mother would come along and say, "Get your feet off the coffee table." You'll understand what I mean when you buy it yourself. Well, guess what? When I bought it myself, I started to understand what she was talking about. Why don't you want your kids to jump on the couch? Because you bought it, and it was with the money that you worked or that you work to earn. And so it's different because you've accomplished. And that's the problem sometimes in our world today. People don't want to work for it. They just want somebody to give it to them. And that's not what God has said. God intended for us to work while we're here on this earth. And He's blessed us with a great deal. He doesn't want us to waste time being dissatisfied because we need to understand that life is short. And if we happen to be blessed with great wealth, then that's great. That's wonderful. Even Paul addressed that with Timothy. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 19 and 20, the preacher says, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. For he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answered it, answered it him in the joy of his heart. We are blessed. Many of us are blessed more than, like I even mentioned, I think it was this morning about we have more than some of our grandparents had. We need to understand that we are tremendously blessed. But the key to our happiness is God. Ecclesiastes 6, verse 9, Better is the sight of the, of the eyes than the wandering of the desire. This is also vanity and vexation of the spirit. We can't go around life wanting more because somebody else has it. That's something that can bring disappointment to our lives because we'll never be satisfied. Be content with God that with what God has given you. That's we're not being told here. Don't have ambition. Don't have uh, uh, goals that are set in life. But understand that where you're at now, be satisfied. There's an expression that I like, and it, and it is uh, bloom where you're planted. And the thing that thought that always comes to my mind is I saw a flower that was growing in the middle of a sidewalk. Now the odds were pretty good that someone was going to run over that, walk on top of it, and smash that flower down. But that flower didn't care. That flower or that seed dropped in that crack of the sidewalk and it germinated and it grew and it continued to grow and it did all that it was supposed to do. And that's really what we need to be doing. Bloom where God plants us. Be satisfied with what He's given us. Take comfort in knowing that He's with us. Those are the things that are important because the future is uncertain. We have no promise of tomorrow. In Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 7, For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? 
We have no promise of tomorrow. Our future, we don't know what's going to take place. So shouldn't that mean it would be better to enjoy today instead of worrying about life ahead? We may not even make it to that point. All we have is right now. So we need to enjoy what God has blessed us with. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 12, Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before Him. That's the key to life. Fear God and know that He's there with us. We have no promise of tomorrow. All we have is the here and now. Should we enjoy what God has blessed us with today? Or should we continually think about what we don't have and what we could have tomorrow? Enjoy it now. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 15. Then I commended mirth, because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry, for that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. Enjoy what you have. Be thankful for what God's blessed you with. Have contentment with godliness in your life. You see, so much of life is out of our control. But we sometimes think that we're in control. In Ecclesiastes 8, beginning in verse 7, For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? There is no man that hath power over the Spirit to retain the Spirit, neither hath he power in the day of death. And there is no discharge in that war, neither shall wickedness deliver those that are given to it. I can't make my soul stay in my body. I can't change death. God's in control of those things. And so what I have and what He's blessed me with, I need to be thankful I need to appreciate it. And I need to use those things to glorify His name. We need to make preparations, though, when it is uncertain. We don't know what the future holds, but today we have today, and today we can be prepared for those things. <clears throat> it's like having a prayer life. It's important that we pray now. So many people wait till there's a crisis in their life, and then they want to establish that relationship with God and say, hey, I need your help. If you've been praying all along, you're no stranger to God. And it's not a crisis mode. It's not like an insurance policy. We pray because it's an important means of communication that we have with God. And so we pray and we talk to Him. And we prepare ourselves for when things may go wrong or when we may have difficulties in life. And when we're prepared, guess what? It's a whole lot easier to deal with. We know that bad days will come. And so we need to enjoy the good days now. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 7 through 8, it says, Truly the light is sweet, and the pleasant thing is of the eye to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is vanity. And so if you're looking for that perfect life, where you have no stress, you have no problems, there's no troubles, no sorrows, it's not going to happen. You maybe have been blessed up to this point where you haven't had anything like that happen in your life. And that's great. But do you expect to live to be 70, 80 years old and not have any difficulties? 
I think that that would be impossible for that to happen. But why ruin the day, the good day that God has blessed us with, with the dread of the future, especially when the future is uncertain? We know we cannot control what's going to happen, but we do know who's in control of the future, and that's our Lord. Be thankful for that. While you're young, enjoy life. In Ecclesiastes 11, verses 9 through chapter 12 of verse 1, it says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart, and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. While you're young, it's a time to explore, and it's a time to experience life, but don't forget God. Because that's what happens sometimes with young people. They realize that it is a time to enjoy life, but they leave God out of the equation. And then that's where we have problems. Because you have to keep God in your life, and that's what helps to control your life. Because we need to have the fear of God. Because we know that He watches us and we know that He cares about us. He sees the good, but He also sees the bad. And He wants us to do what's right. And so develop good habits while you're young. Why? Because when you get old, sometimes it's hard to develop those habits. It's not impossible. But if you're young and you have godly parents and have a godly home, appreciate that. Be thankful for it. And grow up to continue on with that tradition, that life, to teach your children and your grandchildren, and so on and so forth, what it means to be a Christian. You see, man's duty is to serve God. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 through 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. <clears throat> for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every, good, every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. God put us here to enjoy life. Enjoying that life means that we work and we live a life in service to God. That we are to fear Him and to keep His Word. Do the things that He wants us to do. We're not here just for us. We're here to serve God. And we cannot serve two masters. And Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 6, and verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't be in the world and in the, in, in the kingdom of God at the same time. You can't have one foot in the world trying to live by the world in one, one day of the week and live, in the, live a Christian life the other day. You have to be a Christian all the time, faithful to God all the time. You can't serve two. And I think that that's one of the reasons why many people are miserable in this life. Many adult Christians are miserable in this life because they're trying to serve two masters. Jesus says that's impossible. You can't. You'll love one and hate the other. 
You can't serve them both. True happiness results when God's purpose is put first. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put God first in your life. Seek the things that He wants in your life. Put His kingdom first, the church first. And all those things that God wants, all those laws that He expects us to follow, are based upon the concept of love. We do those things not because we have to. We do those things because we want to, because we love Him. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39, <clears throat> Master, somebody came to Him and said, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And therein is the problem. That's the core of the problem with many people. Most people live life with the idea that life is all about them. That the world revolves around them. And Jesus tells us, what? Love God first and love our neighbor second. Where am I on that list? God designed life to be about serving God and our fellow man. <clears throat> and loving God means that we obey Him. John chapter 14, verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved by, of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. That's what God wants us to do. That's how we can enjoy life. Those laws guide us in the way that makes life best. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, it says, Now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all of his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul, <clears throat> to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. What was it that... Paul told Timothy, told him that happiness comes when we have a contented life. Listen again to what he said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. And <clears throat> having food and raiment, let us be there with content. That they which are rich fall into temptation and a snare and into the fool, many foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. When we're pursuing the wrong things in this life, and when we think that we have obtained it, we lose it. Our desire needs to be to serve God with all of our heart, to do the things that He wants us to do. Because yes, He wants us to enjoy life while we're here, but it must be on His terms, <clears throat> doing what He wants us to do. And then we look forward to a home in heaven 
And so while we're here on this earth, it, we can rejoice in what God's blessed us with, realizing that there will be difficult times, difficult situations, difficult opportunities that we have in this life that we have to deal with. Because heaven is where we have no problems. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And that's where we want to go. And remember that when you think you've obtained it by searching for all of those other things and you've gotten it, remember what Jesus said in Luke, the 12th chapter, <clears throat> beginning in verse 15. And He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And He thought within Himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, <clears throat> eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself, and is not rich toward God. What are you doing with your life today? Are you thankful for what's God, what God has given you? Are you content with what you have? Or are you just miserable? God doesn't want us to be miserable. He's told us what we need to do. I ask you, are you doing it tonight? I hope that you're living your life to the best of your ability in serving God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could have eternal life if you would be obedient to His will. And He tells us what we need to do in order to accept that glorious invitation that is extended to us. We first have to hear that Word, and that Word comes from God's Word. In Romans 10, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In Hebrews 11, verse 6, it tells us that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So I have to hear that word, and then I have to believe that word. And I have to believe that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be, that he is the Son of God. And I have to turn away from my sin, because Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, verses 3 and 5, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And we see on the day of Pentecost, when he cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So they were told to repent. They had to turn away from their sin, and we have to turn away from our sin. And then we need to be, make that great confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, just like we see with the Ethiopian eunuch. And as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verses 32, if we'll confess Him before men, He'll confess us before His Father which is in heaven. Then we need to be buried with our Lord in baptism to have our sins washed away. Yes, baptism is essential to salvation. Without it, we don't see there's hope in the Bible because we're buried with our Lord. We go down in that watery grave a sinner. We come up out of that water a new creature. That sin has been washed away by the precious blood of Christ. An act of faith that we are obedient to. And that's what cleanses us from sin. But then we must be faithful while we're here on this earth as long as we're here. In Revelation 2 and verse 10, the last part of that verse says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. I want to encourage all of us to be faithful. If you're a Christian, be faithful. Be content with, God, with what God has blessed us with. 
Oh, I get tired of all the other stuff that's going on in this world too. But we need to be thankful for what God's blessed us with and accept all the good things that He's given us. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row while we stand and sing.